I don't know who you listen to uh, in order to understand a life in this world. Uh, I, I, I guess I take the time to listen to lots of different people. I listen to uh, politicians. I listen to political commentators to find out what they really meant. Uh, I, I read what uh, some scientists have to say. I, I'm interested in what authors and business leaders have to say. Uh, I'm even interested in what musicians have to say. Uh, I enjoy question time on TV. Start of the week with Andrew Marr as they discuss the latest books and ideas. I enjoy movies that reflect on life and uh, especially on people's stories, their life stories. And I'm sort of older I get, the more fascinated I am in history. So there's lots of different voices that we can listen to. But what I want to say to you today is that um, there is one person who speaks with greatest authority on life, and that is Jesus Christ. And what I want to urge you to do today is to listen to him. Have you truly listened to Jesus Christ? Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. We're going to focus on today. You'll find that on page 968. Page 968. And as we read these words, if you want God to speak to you, let's take the time to pray and ask him, shall we? Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks and you've spoken through your Son. And as we open your word now, this record of what took place in his life and what he said. We ask that by your Holy Spirit that these would not be just words on a page, but you speaking into our very hearts. Give us willing and obedient hearts to the voice of Christ, we pray. In his name. Amen. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. 
They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word. Did you see the two sentences of Jesus? In that account, the two commands of the Lord Jesus. Did you see them? The first one is there in verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the other in verse 19. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Has anyone ever spoken words like that to you? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Here's Jesus speaking with great authority, isn't it? I mean, an extraordinary thing for someone to come up and say that. Why should I listen to him? What does he mean? Well, that's what we're going to consider this morning. But before Matthew gets to these words, he wants us to understand the context. He wants us to understand the geography of where Jesus began this public ministry. Jesus had heard that uh, John the Baptist had been put in prison And so he returns to Galilee. His base had been Nazareth. That's where he lived. But he kind of moved house from Nazareth. He moved to Capernaum on the the Sea of Galilee. And this was going to be the new location for his public ministry. And it says in these verses that he went throughout that area preaching. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. And uh, Matthew wants us to know the geography. And he wants us to know the reason for it. And there's the reason, verse 15. It it was to fulfill what has been said to the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In Isaiah's day, because of the spiritual rebellion of, uh, of the ancient Israel people, they, they experienced uh, 
waves of foreign nations invading. And they always invaded from the north. The Assyrians came down and demolished the north of the country before they made their way down to Jerusalem. The Babylonians came from the north. The people of the north were the first to experience the effects of their spiritual rebellion as um, they turned against God and His Word. They experienced uh, much darkness of invasion and, and death. And the truth is that that is just a small picture of the whole world. Uh, we live in a beautiful world, don't we? It is a beautiful world, but it is a broken world. You don't have to live that long in life to realize that actually we are surrounded by much human suffering, by much misery. I mean, just think about all the jobs we have in our society that's basically about this. Doctors, dentists, nurses, physios, pharmacists, hospitals, medicine manufacturers, hospitals, hospices, retirement homes, they're all a reminder that we are experiencing sickness, disease, aging, death. Think about all the other jobs we've got in society. We've got lots of police and lawyers and judges and law courts and prisons and social workers because we're selfish people who don't treat others with love and dignity. It is a beautiful world, but it is a broken world, and we live in the shadow of, of death and much darkness. And the older you get, the more you realize it. This weekend is the 70th anniversary of the, the end of the battle for Stalingrad. It was on February the 2nd, 1943. We often remember in the Second World War the uh, Normandy D-Day and the horrific losses there. 22,000 casualties on D-Day. 12,000 of those British and American troops. But it is estimated that the Battle of Stalingrad, there were 2 million casualties. 1 million deaths, 2 million casualties. I mean, incredible Two atheistic states at war. It was Hitler's Nazi Germany and Stalin's Soviet Russia. Two regimes that persecuted people from many religious backgrounds and particularly Christians. These were regimes that were based on the ideas of enlightened atheistic philosophers. Nietzsche for the Nazis, Marx for the Soviets. Both regimes that promised a sort of an atheistic version of utopia. They were going to bring in the perfect, brilliant society. Unencumbered by the unenlightened views about God or any other higher power. If we ever get into a way of thinking that if we just remove God and go fully for a secular society, that we're going to create heaven on earth, remember Stalingrad the bloodiest battle of history. Two atheistic utopian dreams clashing. Do we really think we can create heaven on earth apart from God? Do you know, this is what we do to each other given the right circumstances. Here is uh, human nature writ large. 
an example of what happens in a world that's in rebellion against God and his word, where we hate, abuse, take, kill on an industrial scale. This is a broken world, and you know what? We are not going to fix it by better politicians, by better leaders, by having independence, by having more education, by having more scientific advances. We are not going to fix this broken world. And that is why Jesus moved to Capernaum and went throughout the region of Galilee preaching this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of earth and rebellion against God is broken. The only hope is if we repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We need a better kingdom. A better kingdom than the one we can create ourselves. What does it mean to repent? Well, it, 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 it's, it's simply this. Turn around. You're facing the wrong direction. You're heading the wrong way. Turn around. Repent. Stop living in the darkness of rejecting God's word and, 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 and being in spiritual rebellion. And the king of God's kingdom comes on the stage of human history. And these are the first words, according to Matthew, repent. Will we listen to Jesus? Have you listened to Jesus? Well, why should we, why should we listen to him? Well, if the first reason is, is this, that we begin to see the brokenness of this world... The second reason we should listen to Jesus is to see the beauty of the kingdom of heaven that is coming. It is so glorious. I mean, Matthew wants us to, to note the geography of where he began to preach so we'd see the big significance of his life. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. He is, the, he is the great light that shines on us in our darkness. He is the dawning hope of what is to come. Here is the answer to a messed up, broken world. Here is the king who is bringing in the kingdom that we want, that we need. See, what Jesus did was not simply to declare that the kingdom of heaven was near. He demonstrates the glorious nature of that kingdom. Take a look at that summary in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The kingdom of heaven is good news. Because here is a king who can put back together all that's broken. Do you see how amazingly wide is his abilities? Every disease, every sickness. No surprise then, the massive popular appeal of Jesus in those days. Look at verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria. That is the, uh, internationally around the area. 
the, the nature and the impact of his healing was such that people brought him all who were ill. Can you imagine how long it would have taken to bring your um, sick relatives along with you um, with no trains, no, no cars? You had to transport a sick person uh, from another country to Jesus. And this is what people were doing. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures. And another way of translating that might well be uh, those having mental illness and the paralyzed. And he healed them. I mean, here is a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven that was near, that is coming. Here's the world we all want. I don't know whether you've ever been with someone who is experiencing regular, severe pain. In my role as a pastor, I've, I've gone to people's bedsides and they are taking morphine and they are still in intense pain. You, you look at someone suffering in that way and you long for a better world. To be with someone who's been captivated by evil and endangers themselves and others, it, it makes you long for a better world. Have you been with someone going through an acute psychotic episode and they are tortured with all their worst nightmares running around in their brain, and they cannot stop it. They cannot rationalize. They cannot break out of it. They are caught in this nightmare that is so terribly real for them. Have you ever been with someone like that? To be with someone like that is to long for a better world. To be with someone who has been paralyzed through an accident... And they're not able to do the basic things that you need to do in life. Someone has to do them for them. It's to long for a better world. And Matthew says, listen to Jesus. Because he is bringing in a better kingdom. He healed every disease. There wasn't one person who came with a sickness or a problem that he could not heal and fix. Look to the end of your Bibles and you'll, you'll see the, the book of Revelation. And in it, you'll discover that there is no darkness in that kingdom of heaven because Jesus is there. There are no hankies because there's no crying. There's no need for morphine because no one's in pain. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There is no, no undertakers for there's no death. That is the kingdom that Jesus was bringing in. And these 
miracles, these healings, they are remarkable. That is the point. They're not magic tricks. They're signs of the, of the kingdom reality that he was bringing. And it all would be achieved by his own death upon the cross. And it all would be guaranteed to us by his own resurrection from the dead. And so here he is with awesome authority and the king is calling out, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. It's as if we are choosing to live in the darkness and the kingdom of light is breaking in and Jesus is calling, Stop! Turn around! And I think that the second command here is linked to the first. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. My grandfather was a coal miner in Wales, uh, down the pits as a teenager, a young teenager. And so whenever I hear of trapped miners underground, I, I always take attention, uh, but pay attention to it. Here's a picture that uh, I... I, I I kept visualizing as I was preparing this week, and maybe it'll help you to help understand these two commands. And when you think about maybe a miner working underground, and there's been a collapsed uh, tunnel, and your batteries have run out, and you've spent days walking uh, in the dark tunnels, lots of options, and you're feeling your way, and you're, you're, you are completely lost. You are going round in circles and circles, and the, and the, the hope is diminishing. And then you become aware of, of the hint of some light behind you. And you turn around and you hear footsteps and you hear a voice. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. And there is a rescuer. And he's got a helmet on. He's got a big bright lamp on the front. And he sees you and he's got, and he's got a big smile on his face and he says, Come. Follow me. I'll lead you out. And your heart sings for joy. Because someone has come down to rescue you. He knows the way out. And all you must do is simply turn around and follow him. And as you start following behind him, he says to you, by the way, there were hundreds of others trapped. If you see any signs of someone else lost... Why don't you tell them to come and follow me as well? That's what we've got going on here. Jesus went about not only preaching and healing, but also discipling. See, if repentance is the command to stop and turn around uh, and go in a different direction, then the next command tells us what direction we should head in. Come, follow me, Jesus says. Verse 18, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men at once. They left their nets and followed him. There are certain things, obviously, that are unique about this because Jesus was physically present. But I think here, too, is a picture of what discipleship is about. Here is his awesome authority. Here is a radical call. They're going about their business, catching fish. It was a reasonable way to make a living in those days. And Jesus sees these brothers and commands them just to follow him. Now in those days, um, 
you, you would choose who you'd want to be your rabbi, who you'd want to be your teacher. You'd look around, you'd pick, and then you would make the choice. But Jesus completely turns us around. He is the one who decides who will be his followers. And I wonder, have you heard his call to come follow him? We see lots of crowds uh, in this account, kind of amazed. But it's different to being a disciple called by Jesus to follow. Now for them, being a disciple literally meant walking with him, following him wherever he went, witnessing his miracles, hearing his teaching, eating meals with him. Wherever he went, they went. Witnessing his arrest, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. So they could be the eyewitnesses and tell us, as Matthew is doing here, of his life. What awesome authority he commands and immediately they obeyed. How do you know the difference between a sort of a mere follower and a disciple? A disciple is one who obeys the call of Christ, who attentively listens to what he has to say and has a heart to do it. I will follow. For us, uh, Christ is present in heaven, but he's given us his Holy Spirit. And discipling, uh, being a disciple of Jesus today means attentively listening to, to God's Word and the Bible uh, in, in dependence upon His Holy Spirit. And, 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 and as we read it, doing it with a commitment that what He says and commands us, we will do. We'll follow. Daily obedience. Uh, a Christian is someone who has repented of their sin who stopped trying to make their little claustrophobic kingdom of one work for themselves and have started following Jesus towards this better kingdom. What does it mean to be a follower? What is he teaching us? If you want to know the answer to that question, come back next week. Because we're about to start the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, if, if you can't wait, you can start reading it this week. I'd encourage you to do so. But we, we have the privilege in Matthew's account of, of getting five big blocks of teaching of Jesus. If we wanted to know what they heard, Matthew's recorded it for us here. We can know what it is that Jesus wants to say to us. We can know what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We can follow him today. Don't be fooled by the crowds. They were drawn by the healings. Um, next week, Jesus sees the crowds. We see this. And he goes up to a mountainside to teach his disciples about what discipleship really looks like. And uh, look down at verse 11 of chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
if we're living in the kingdom of this world that is in rebellion against God, and Jesus says, repent, follow me, the kingdom of heaven is coming, we have set ourselves against this world that's in rebellion. And not everyone's going to be really thrilled about that. I don't know whether you've noticed, but it is a minority thing to be following Jesus these days here in Britain, for sure. And do you notice that the blessings that are spoken of here are largely future. Your, your reward is coming, Jesus says. Disciples are those who are willing to leave things behind now in order for the privilege of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and following him, trusting his promises, knowing that that great day is coming. There's always things we have to leave behind when you follow Jesus. I don't know what it will mean for you. For disciples, it meant leaving their, their own way of providing for themselves, leaving their nets, leaving their occupation, leaving their father who owned the family business and following Jesus. I don't know what it will mean for you. Uh, Certainly it's meant for me. Um, The last 10 years I haven't been drilling teeth. I've been teaching the Bible. Uh, It might mean following Jesus is drilling teeth for the rest of your life and loving the people that you serve as a dentist. It might take you to another country, as it has for Peter and Katie. Who knows what it will mean to follow Jesus for you. But what a privilege to follow Christ. It's wonderful what Peter said there. Actually, he never really thinks of it much of a sacrifice. It's a privilege to follow Christ. Do you see the wonderful promise here in 4 verse 19? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, we do live in a world where people are living in darkness in the shadow of death, but we know the one who's the resurrection and the life. We know the king who has, has rescued us from our sin and rebellion, and we know there is a better world to come, and we get the privilege of, uh, of pointing Jesus, people to this man to Jesus and say, look, I'm following him. Why don't you follow him as well? To be a disciple means to be on mission with Jesus, doesn't it? Isn't that clear? To be a disciple of Jesus, another evidence that you're a disciple of Jesus is that you're on mission with Jesus. You're engaged in this work of being a fisher for men and women. Get to the end of Matthew's gospel, we'll see the Great Commission as he sends them out. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll go with you wherever you are, Jesus says. I'm with you always. Jesus is still on mission. He is still calling men and women to himself. And he says to us, if you want to be my disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I tell you what, that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? I feel pretty hopeless sometimes as as an evangelist. Uh, I feel pretty weak and trembling at the thought of pointing other people to Jesus. And yet Jesus promises as we do that, he will make us fishers of men. 
The thing that encourages me is that he promises he'll do that. He promises that he's going to build his church. And Jesus is a very faithful man to all his promises. He is God who has the power to fulfill all his promises. There are two anniversaries this weekend. There's the 70th of the end of the Battle of Stalingrad. But also it is the 40th anniversary of the planting of Westerhales Baptist Church. They had a meal celebrating it this weekend. It's a, a church plant that happened uh, in a significant way through the help of, of, uh, of people at Charlotte Chapel who gave so generously and helped uh, with a team from Longstone plant this work in Westerhales as the housing estate went up. Land was bought, a building was, was paid for, a manse was paid for, uh, a team was put in place. And this is the 40th anniversary. That's so wonderful. In a world where there is a Stalingrad, we need many more Westerhales. Places that will be a, a light shining in dark places, pointing people to the glorious hope of the kingdom that is to come, to the glorious King and Savior who can rescue us from our sins, who can bring us in relationship with God. There is purpose to this life, the privilege of knowing Christ, following Christ, to become fishers of men. And he calls you today. Have you heard the voice of Jesus today? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn around. Come. Follow me, Jesus says. And I will make you fishers of men. We're here as a church because Jesus is on mission. We're here because we are people who followed Christ, who've heard the call of Christ, are following Christ, are on mission with Christ. That's why we're excited about Words Alive coming up again this summer. Are you engaged in this work together? This is what we're about, to glorify God as we make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't know what this week may hold for us. And yet we thank you that Christ has promised to be with us as we go and make disciples of all nations. So we thank you for the certainty that as we move into this week that you are already ahead of us and that you have plans and purposes for us. We thank you for enabling us to repent. Father, we pray that you help us day by day in that work of repentance, that we would turn from darkness to the glorious light of your kingdom. Grant us faith to believe the promises of Christ and your words and to head forward this week. 
Would you do that work of making us fishers of men, we ask? Help us to be a bright light in a dark city. And we pray this desiring that above all you would be glorified. In Christ's precious name, amen.